Welcome to the Change Africa podcast, where we bring you stories of inspiring individuals and thought leaders leading Africa's transformation. I'm your host, Isaac Kojurenu Abwa, and together with my co-host, Daniel Merki, we'll be exploring diverse perspectives, challenges, and opportunities for growth and development on the continent every week. Each episode, we delve into a different aspect of African life, featuring knowledgeable and engaging guests who provide unique insights and a fresh perspective on the issues affecting the continent across a wide range of topics from economics to culture and social issues. So whether you're already well-versed in African affairs or you're just starting to explore this fascinating and complex part of the world, the Change Africa podcast is an excellent resource for you. Sit back and enjoy another thought-provoking discussion that will inform and challenge you to expand your understanding of Africa. Hello everyone, you're welcome to the Change Africa podcast. My name is Isaac Kodirinobwa. And today we have an exciting conversation with the founder of Ada Contemporary Art Gallery, Adora Mba. Ada is a commercial art space based in Accra, committed to representing emerging artists across Africa. So you started off your career as a journalist yes. or worked in journalism. Yes. And you got excited around Africa's art scene by covering people who were already in. What did you learn previously with working with these new artists? I think my love for art actually started a lot earlier. It was when I was a child. My dad's an art collector, my grandfather's an art collector. So I grew up with a lot of art in my home, sculptures, African artists, especially African artists. So I wanted to be an artist myself, which not a lot of people know. But uh, as we all know, our West African parents would not allow such. Um, so instead, you know, I studied it till A-level, but um, what ended up happening was, you know, I became a journalist. Um, and the great thing about journalism is I focused on arts and culture and the type of subjects that I wanted to cover. So this is a long time ago. I don't want to give away my age, but... 15 years ago. <laughs> um, 15 years ago. Um, African art as a commercial viable industry was just didn't exist in the Western world. Let me say that because in Nigeria, there was a very strong art scene in South Africa. There was, but in terms of the way we see art now, didn't exist. Um, there were hardly any art artists from the continent that were represented by galleries or major galleries or international curators. So um, what I used to love doing was interviewing these young and great African artists, you know, their studios. Um, sometimes the, the people at companies I work for, you know, publications will put them on. But then what I found was I had all this like footage and write-ups and, you know, that weren't published. I didn't know what to do with them. So my editor at the time from BBC Africa in London, I remember, told me to set up a blog because back then blogs were cool. <laughs> and um, that's why I put them all. So this is how it kind of started was that I used to interview these young artists and um, go to studios and have all this like footage and videos and write-ups with nowhere to go. So I was like, okay, I'll just put them on my website. What I found at that time was the lack of support I think the artists had internationally and from any art infrastructure. So, you know, this as I said was a very long time ago where people I think didn't see artists from the continent having art that would be worth the investment, which is of course dramatically changed now. The vibrant art scene you wanted to bring from London and recreating Accra, why did you see the commercial viability that other people didn't see? Were you meeting people that were interested in African art and said, 
if you would probably, you know, help create a gallery, we'll be able to patronize it. I feel like I always wanted to have a gallery. For me personally, even though I was in journalism and everything kind of happened naturally, you know, journalism became advisory, that became you know, art dealing, that became a gallery. But um, I chose Ghana for a couple of reasons. At the time, it's, I feel like I'm one of those people that also it's like right take place, right time, luck, God, all kind of happened because at the time where I was leaving London to move back home, you know, I'm half Nigerian, half Ghanaian. So originally I wanted to move back to Lagos. Uh, Lagos seemed smart because we had a strong art scene, a lot of artists, Nigerians by Nigerian art. But then I remember thinking, you know, at that time, there was a lot of Ghanaian artists doing well internationally, like um, as in in London and New York and Paris and Germany. And I noticed that a lot of them would leave Accra to go to the West because there wasn't any galleries at all. I mean, that, I think at the time there was actually one, which was my dear competitor and friend, 1957. But yeah, there was only one international space. So the business side of me then decided I will go to Ghana instead of Nigeria because Nigeria's saturated market. I'll be one of many. A lot of my friends worked in this industry. In Ghana, there was no one. Um, so I wanted to be one of the first to help implement and grow and what I thought was a lot of potential in um, in Ghana because there were so many artists coming from Ghana. I think that's what got me first. But then going to everywhere else but Ghana. So what is going on? Um, and then, of course, then noticing that, that, you know, we had the art schools, you know, KNUST, back then Ganata was still open. And then that was it. So all these students will leave and then it's, where do you go as an artist? So I thought, you know, so Ghana is a lot more sweet as a country, my mother's people. Um, so, yeah, I kind of took the plunge and I said, you know what, let me go and see what's going on. That's what I, my first, I didn't come in being like, okay, I'm going to open a gallery. No, I remember thinking, I'm going to go see what's going on in the industry, see what's happening in Ghana. And then I worked with like, you know, I worked with the government, I worked with the Ministry of Culture and Tourism. Uh, I worked with Creative Arts Council. I worked with Ajay Associates. So I, you know, I spent my first three, four years still being an art dealer and an art advisor. Surveying that. Exactly. But getting to know here, getting to meet the artists on ground here, getting to understand the network here, getting to understand where I could fit in. Um, and then everything kind of happened. I mean, it's such a random story how it happened, but it's amazing. But again, right place, right time. Um, I wanted to open a gallery. I started looking at spaces in Ghana, um, but I didn't like them. I remember I was frustrated because I felt that a lot of the spaces here were very old. So to have to then redo them um, or they weren't the right, you know, the gallery, you want great lighting, you want it in a location that people come to. And I remember being really specific about that. I wanted my gallery not to be hidden in a five-star hotel with big security gates. I wanted people to be able to walk in. You know, I just want people, anyone to walk in if they want to. I want people to see it, you know, at nighttime, daytime. And it was just wasn't happening. You know, I kept finding all these like old properties um, that just, you know, take so much work to change. So I went to my cousin's birthday dinner, quite frustrated. I was sat next to a wonderful woman and she asked me how it was going, you know, how art was going on and everything was my search for the spaces. And I was frustrated and I said, you know, I can't find anything, um, but I'm hoping to find something. I'll take my time, you know, see how it goes. Um, and she's actually happened to be the owner of Villaggio. Um, and, you know, we were talking, she's an art collector herself. She's talking about art. And, you know, after a couple of glasses of red wine, she was like, you know, why don't you 
And how about here? You know, and I remember thinking, where? You know, because to me, Villagio was Sky Bar and, you know, Santoku, and I was like, where? Where got bar? And, um, and she showed me a couple of spaces, and then she was like, you know, what do you think? And I remember one of them was at the back, and I was like, oh, I kind of want to be at the front, and it's a lovely, massive space, but no, I want to be front and center. So I was saying goodnight to her, and she lives in the yellow building, and she was going upstairs, and they had a massive foyer. I remember it was huge, and there was a Christmas tree in the corner. And then she was like, well, what about here? And we had that kind of moment of like looking up, looking around, counting the ground with our feet, being like, could we build a space within a space? Is this possible? And we're thinking, oh no, it must be the wine, must be the wine. Let's go home, you know, <laughs> think about it. But the next day, you know, followed up and, you know, we both brought our contractors and it's like, actually, we, they don't need a foyer this big and we really could build an incredible space in the lobby. So, I mean, COVID then hit, which was awesome. But um, um, but it was amazing because that's how everything kind of happened. You know, it was like serendipity, luck, faith. But yeah, it was, it's, it's incredible how it all kind of happened because it was unexpected. It was a goal, but then it happened when it was supposed to happen. I'm interested in when you came, the gas that you saw that kind of, made sense to you why people had a lot of talent but were not getting the support that you, they, they, they needed, they deserved to yeah. be able to go over. I mean, Ghana's art industry was pretty much near and none. I mean, I, I don't, not to be harsh. The thing that I always found so crazy about Ghana is that we have the most incredible artisans and creators. You know, we know how to make things kente, gold, sculptural work, painting. Um, our ancestors have done it for years, but for whatever reason, there was this like missing element in which we didn't value these artistic and creative pieces. We don't value our art here, that's the problem. So um, what a gallery does, which is very important and good for artists, is that it's almost like, almost like if artists were debutantes, we give you your debutante ball. Galleries, especially great galleries with good network and collectors and in, in international um, exposure. exposure and reputation, you know, are bringing artists into the world. Because, I mean, a lot of these collectors, I mean, 90% of them have never been to the continent and they even come, God knows, even though they're coming now. It but, it's like but, the, the artist's baby christening. Yeah, exactly. It really is like a christening. It's like, I always say debutante ball because it's like, you know, you're already, you're grown up. It's like, you're wearing a lovely dress and we're like, here they are. You know, we're showing the world. That's what galleries do. Galleries also are saying, I think this artist is so good, I'm going to, put myself behind them, we're going to put my reputation behind them with them because I believe that they are going to go the distance. So we had the schools, we had the talent, but then suddenly we didn't have place to take the talent, you know? So, you know, they're everyone with to leave school here. And then what do you do? You know, where, where do you take your career to the next level, if that makes sense, you know? Um, so that's why I think a lot of them left because we just didn't have galleries or we didn't have then curators or any kind of dealer or person or space that could help promote them internationally to take them to the next level in their career. So I think that's what, that was what was particularly missing. Also here, we don't have buyers, local buyers market, not yet, it, but this takes time. I feel like Ghana's, look, it's, it's even happening now, like more and more Ghanaians starting to buy Ghanaian art and art from um, the continent. But when you come to a country that has a lot of artists, but no collectors, so no one's gonna buy it, no galleries to show it it's you know it's crazy it's like this massive space so you need someone to kind of help bridge that gap you mentioned 
Ghanaians do not value their art. So I was wondering what would be maybe the difference towards, let's say, Nigeria. Yeah. In that aspect, and maybe also with the local buyers. Yeah, I don't know why there's a difference, but Nigeria, look, Nigerians have been buying like us. Nigerians actually prefer buying art from Nigeria. It's a bit like, the, in terms of like the business of the art industry in Nigeria, Nigerian art industry has done well because Nigerians will spend money on art. They like the, the way it makes them feel. They understand the connotations of it. They understand the economic value of it. They understand that artists, you know, you can buy it now, will make more money later. Um, they love the prestige of it. But I don't know why, you know, from, you know, in, Ghana, in Nigeria, the Benin sculptures, you know, we're fighting for our Benin sculptures. Mm -hmm. Art to us is royalty. It's, uh, you know, it's, um, it's prestige, it's high end. So we've always kind of cultivated that. Everyone wants to feel like a royal, you know, Nigeria. We, we like to feel we are all kings and queens, you know? So I feel like that support and, um, and understanding of art has always been there. I don't know the disconnect. Ghana, someone so close, you know, so similar, the cousins of Nigeria, I'd even say, um, how, you know, that just doesn't happen. I mean, perfect example for me was even things like Kente, like, I find it crazy that Kente is, hasn't been like, you know, like almost like officiated as like a, a personal product of the country. So that if anyone ever uses it outside the country or any brand or anywhere, you have to pay Ghana for it. Because Kente is unique to Ghana. It's a Ghanaian textile. It's one of the richest, most beautiful. I mean, those handwoven with the machine, it's nuts. Ghanaians do that. So they don't, you know, in Nigeria they have Ashwiki and all these other styles, but Ghanaians do that. But, then, you know, I don't know, it's just, it's like anyone can use it, obviously they don't care. But, you know, in Nigeria, I don't know, it's almost like we're very protective of our art and our work and um, and it's ours. And it's, you know, because we belong, it belongs to us. So I think because we've been supporting an art industry for a while, it's not new, you know. I think that kind of almost um, mentality is something new that's coming to Ghana. Some people say, you know, the economists will say it's because Nigeria's had money so they can afford to buy art. That is a fair comment too, but I think, you know, for me, I don't think that's all true because Ghanaians have money. There's a lot of, you know, very wealthy Ghanaians as well, but they'd rather spend their money on a watch than a painting. So I think it's a mentality thing as well, so. But I don't know why, you know, I, I found it so perplexing because the biggest artists in African art, especially contemporary African art right now, but even some of the modern art, the modern masters like Ablati Glover, you know, Eldad Sui was Kujo, these are all Ghanaians. You know, if we talk about contemporary, Utsis Kweko, Bwachi Lynette, Yadon Bwachi, Solomon Adumfa, my gosh, Derek Ford, Jaw. I mean, all Ghanaians. They are Ghanaians. The head of Vogue, Ghanaian. Architecture, David Ajay's Ghanaian. I mean, we're literally talking about creativity and then the fashion, Ghanaian. So I don't know why in here in Accra, but the rest of the world are like, oh my God, Ghana is amazing. And look at this art, blah, blah, blah. So I don't know. I don't know. We don't appreciate our own. Because if the locals don't, what, what everyone always says that's been happening is that when locals don't, the rest of the world do. What will happen, which is happening now, is because the rest of the world do, the locals are starting to. I have more Ghanaian buyers now in our third year. When I first opened, I literally other than maybe family members, you know, no. But now, like this recent show we had, predominantly Ghanaian buyers. It seems to be like a Ghanaian thing across different industries that you see a lot of things that Ghanaians do not ap appreciate or value themselves. Yeah. I mean, even from 
I mean, even with the tourists, you see certain things that were not frequented by Ghanaians. Yes. Then when the foreigners come. I do notice that as well. But then, I mean, like, I mean, for me, it was, I think also, I didn't grow up as much here. So I guess I am, I am still a touristy, even though I'm, you know, Ghanaian. But I remember, like, I loved, like, things like the beach and, like, traveling. I'm one of the few that travel a lot within Ghana. Sometimes my mom gets very cross because I explore too much. You know, I end up in, like, a forest here or something. I love it, you know, but I feel like I remember when I first came and moved here, um, it was my international friends that taught me and showed me Ghana. It wasn't my Ghanaian family members. My Ghanaian family members were very happy to use the same restaurants, same homes. That's it. They honestly, that's it. We'll, maybe we'll go here, go there to the same four restaurants everyone goes to. But things like quad biking in a brewery, you know, and like going to external parts of Ghana, going to far, like, beaches, going to Sakharadeh, I was like, those are my international friends. And I realized that they are really enjoying Ghana. <laughs> They're like, really enjoying Ghana. And I was like, goodness, like, I don't know why we are just going to the same four air-conditioned places. I feel like Ghana is one of those places I, you know, all my international friends, my friends abroad, died to come here. All my Nigerian friends literally pretty much live here now. Everybody comes here. Um, the diasporans come here a lot. I don't know, I, we, we, I mean, I know everyone has their, we have problems living here is different to being an outsider, I get it. Like, you know, I'm a Londoner. I haven't, literally the last time I went to the Tower of London or like Big Ben was when I was like five. I would never go. But people will arrive and be like, oh, London, oh, no. I get it. So I get that there's things that, you know, when you live here, you don't want to do. But, um, but what I've always found perplexing is the amount of beauty and creativity here that we just don't value. And I, I find it shocking. You know, I actually have a story I want to tell you, which is, a crazy story for me. So um, my godmother is the Russian ambassador, right? And um, I went to Moscow to see her. I never to Russia. Stunning, by the way, the propaganda they tell us. <laughs> Moscow and Petersburg is stunning. I mean, I was supposed to be there for five days. I spent two and a half weeks. It's stunning. Arts, culture, religion, stunning. Um, so I was at the Ghana embassy. And my aunt had meetings and things like that. So of course, you know, and we had, I think we had like something to do later. So she told me, you know, give her a couple of hours. I went, oh, no problem. So me started nosing about exploring the Ghanaian embassy. And I get into a room in the attic, on top of the wall, and I see lots of dusty boxes, but one of them is open and I see paintings. So I'm like, oh. So me, of course, I start opening and looking and blowing the dust and cleaning it. And I realized that these works are really old. These are like 1940s, 1930s, 1950s works. I was like, okay, 1960s. I'm like, why are they? And they literally haphazardly just left. So I took a couple downstairs to my aunt because she's an art collector too. And I was like, you know, did you know these were upstairs? She was like, no, what is this? So she then looks at them. She goes, do you know whose works these are? And I was like, no. She was like, the person that designed the Ghanaian flag. I was like, wait, what? So I was like, they're in your attic. She went, oh my God. She was like, they must have just been put there. Maybe when they first opened the office in Moscow years ago, whatever. Somebody, because the art in the embassy wasn't, we're not even art, let me not even call it art. There was photographer to have hazard photos and weird things on the walls in the, in, the, in the embassy. Someone had taken down, honestly, these are artifacts, this is history as well as real artwork, and chucked it in the attic. I was shocked. I remember thinking, oh my God. So we ended up you know, cleaning it and then you know, looking and wrapping up. So she was like, she's gonna you know, wrap them up and maybe bring them to Ghana. So, I mean, that was when I realized, goodness, we really just don't even value. I mean, this is the type of stuff that should be in a museum, you know? And I was just sitting in Moscow, getting dusty and dirty. I want to talk about discovery of the artists. Yeah. You started off, the first exhibition you did was so Collins, 
Obi Jaco. Yes. And Collins was a self-taught artist. Gosh, artists. So Instagram has been very, I mean, it's changed the art industry completely, honestly. COVID changed the art industry and then Instagram changed the art industry. So before, artists would have to make portfolios, PDF portfolios and email gallerists and hope that a gallery would respond. Um, that was how I used to get signed up. But Instagram changed everything. So I can't remember who found who, to be honest, because I was already an art advisor and dealer. And I feel that, you know, that hashtag, I look at hashtags and I look, I literally matrix myself on Instagram a lot with art. So like hashtag African art, hashtag contemporary African art, hashtag artist. I could spend hours, literally hours going through paintings and things like that. Um, so I don't know who found who Collins, maybe we found each other, but I remember seeing a couple of his works, not many, and he had like 50, 20 followers or something, but I loved it. I remember being like, wow. So I think we have slid into his DMs, as you know, that's what we do, and um, got him to send me images. So I remember when I found, when we started speaking, it was about, I had the gallery, but the gallery hadn't been built yet. So I think it was, you know, COVID had happened. So this was a good maybe nine months. Kind of was like um, another really wonderful thing that happened because it gave me time to understand the kind of program I wanted to have for the space. So with Collins, what we started doing was just kind of, I would advise him on the work. Like he wanted, um, he wanted understanding and an outside perspective on his art. He didn't, you know, because he felt that he could do more. And even the work he was doing then, what he's doing now is insane. But like, he needed help in terms of the composition and because he was self-taught, so he didn't understand how to push his artwork and his technique. So that's what I was helping with in the beginning. And then, you know, sell a couple of stuff, you know, to collectors, friends. Um, I think I posted it a couple of times and I remember then my friends in London um, who had galleries were like, who the hell is that? And then a friend who was a dealer in London was like, who is that? And then he wanted to sell some of his art. So Colin started selling before we even opened him officially. We hadn't done his dead ball, but you know, um, everyone started following artists. And I think what happened was a lot of international galleries realized, oh my gosh, there's something happening on the continent. And they realized they don't have to fly here to see. So they'll just go on Instagram or they'll go on our Instagrams and see who we're following or what we're liking. And that was it, honestly. It's like artists started putting their portfolios on Instagram instead of having to send it and hope for someone to respond. They've just put their images, they put themselves painted, they put their paintworks. So we had this free way of seeing it and you know, we're all locked up in our homes. So people were just like going at it and seeing all sorts of great art. So that's how I actually discovered a lot of the artists. Um, predominantly word of mouth is with me. So like Zandile was a collector specifically contacted me. Like I have what we, we call them eyes. So people that have great taste in art, we call them eyes. So I have like a couple of eyes. I really trust collectors, friends, advisors. Um, and they're the ones that normally are like, Dora, stop what you're doing. Look at this person. Because I see so much that I'm like, no, no, no. And I'm so particular kind of art I like. So it really takes someone I trust to be like, can you just stop and look at this person? And I'm like, okay. So a combination of that um, being a word of mouth, um, advisors and collectors telling me to check out, and then Instagram. And then the very, very rare PDF email they're lucky if I open it and see it. There's so many, I mean, my team do see it, honestly, but we don't respond to everyone, we get so many. But every now and then, and I mean, there's an artist actually that was showing end of this year. I found her by matrixing. Again, I use the word matrix because I feel like I just inceptioned myself. I was looking at something really normal. And the next thing you know, it was two in the morning and I found myself on the Barbados Museum web um, Instagram page. I don't know how. And on there, I saw a work I was obsessed with. So I clicked the artist, found the artist, 
And at 4 a.m. she probably thinks I was mad. I was like, I love this. This is amazing. Please send me more. Tell me more what you do. And then we had like, uh, we had a Zoom call and we loved each other and we love our art and we're going to show up. So I don't mean, maybe people should try and get me at three in the morning. Somehow I find these artists. But you know, Instagram really changed art for everybody. It's, it changed the way we can mm. contact artists. It also changed the way artists contact collectors because before collectors had to go through galleries, um, you know, and now they can just stray away tap into the resource complicated of course because it sometimes makes my job a bit harder but you know what is the artist journey through the gallery to the open market what did uh, what did they usually not know about the art world because you're usually like yeah. very early in their journeys when you yeah. discover them yeah this is the one thing artists don't know they don't know how much they cost yeah. they think they cost something and they don't that's the one thing i get very stressed about um artists think likes equate money no it don't they think celebrity equate money no it doesn't if they think because my art looks like this person's it equates no it doesn't um there are parameters of pricing pricing is very difficult but there are parameters of pricing i mean of course like paperworks are cheaper than Canvas works, mixed media will be more, how much more the artist, artist is invested in it in terms of their time and the type of materials, little things like this. But in terms of numbers, we all know the numbers. I mean, an artist really on their first ever show, there's certain sizes, I think our favorite size is 100 by 150 centimeter. You should not be more than a certain number. In fact, most artists should even be looking at the USD symbol, to be quite honest with them, but it's, you know, I know everything has changed. You know, PDD will like your painting, so, you know, you want. But um, there, there are parameters. So well, what I've done, especially in the gallery, like I've stayed within it. I mean, it's very easy, and there'll be a lot of naughty galleries that will tell you you're worth more. But this is the danger I want to keep telling artists. If you price yourself too high too quickly, you will drop fast. That's what goes up must come down. It's far too many times in this, what, 15 years I've been in this industry, I've seen people who were great artists, but greens, greedy galleries, greedy dealers will price them fast too quick. And then suddenly no one wants to buy your work. What happens then? You cost too much. No one likes it. You haven't improved that much. Your work hasn't changed. You haven't evolved. You're not worth it. You know, and then as what will happen is that you see masters and people who have been in um, the industry longer longevity which is important experience which is important the way your work goes is important the type of shows you do is important the type of collectors you have is important the type of art school if you go to is important all these things are important to your price point how up you go you know if you put too much work out art is like most luxurious things nobody wants what everyone has if you have it and you have it and everyone has it why do I want to buy it it's gross and it already devalues the artwork I try to teach the artists, these things, like I do a lot of advising the work, artists we work with and even artists we don't work with. Honestly, anyone messages me, I'll tell them the truth of pricing. It's something that um, unfortunately we don't have that element in the art schools here, you know, in the West, they're taught the business of art. Artists here are taught how to paint. They're not taught the business of art, which I think is such a crucial, important element because otherwise people could take advantage of you. The pricing, yeah, it's, you've got to always start low and competitive. Because the funny thing is, if you're too low, people won't buy it because they think it's cheap. And if you're too high, they think you don't know what you're doing. So there is a little middle ground. We stay within it. And then in terms of trajectory, it's then things like, you know, where we place you. If you get placed um, in, you know, blue chip, which is our one, the one percentage, you know, of the world's 
billionaires, great collectors, then of course your value is going to go up a little bit. If you get a museum show, which is very rare and difficult, of course your value is going to go up. If uh, it's very difficult to get a hold of your work, if you spaced out, let's say you, you, know, you only put out a certain amount of work a year and no one can get it, of course people are going to pay a little bit more and you do your next show because your work is not in the market. Um, I always tell people being in this kind of side of art, which is more the investment art side, rather than just selling, is more like being a stockbroker or being an investment banker. Art is a commodity, so it's kind of the same thing. That's what we're doing, really. And what more training does such a young African artist need to go through before they are ready to, you know, command those prices? I feel like, to be honest, like in all industries, not everyone is good enough to command those prices. And I'm sorry to say that. I think I need to be honest. I think, you know, if you love what you do. I always tell artists, if you want to paint, paint. Don't paint to try and be a million dollar painter. No, because that's not the way. Paint because you love it. And if you have people that want to buy it, then sell it to them, you know. But if you're working with a gallery, because the only way to become that level is working with the gallery. Um, unfortunately, being an independent artist, you will not get to that level because in the art world, which is still a global and very Western art world, there's certain um, gatekeepers and certain things, like you can't be in an art fair, for example, if you're not represented by a gallery. You have to have certain representation and certain collectors and certain shows before you're accepted in certain things. Um, so you being independent, especially from the continent, especially self-taught, no art school, no one knows who you are, no one can vouch for you, it's, it's hard. So if you work with a gallery, I always say like trust the gallerist that you work with, it's very important. But be patient because you see, everyone forgets this, like we're all working in unison. The art market, which I love about it, is that every single aspect and in infrastructure actually works together. So the auction houses, in the gag, artists are scared of the word auction. They shouldn't be. Because in the best cap capability in the scenario, an auction can make your value go up, you know, in a way that can raise your profile and your price points. But then the galleries are there, your curators are there, your writers are there, you know, you need press, all these things are, you know, connected together. Um, but I feel like, I mean, what's happening now, which I like as well, is that there's, you can learn these things more online. There is a lot of courses. I do recommend that a lot. I always tell artists to learn about art history because you don't know where you're going, you don't know where you came from. A lot of their artwork, they don't realize is from, they're showing you know, influence and like inspiration of artists of old, but they don't know this. And I'm like, so I always tell them, oh my gosh, you're painting like Georgia O'Keeffe, or you're painting like Barclay Hendricks, or you're painting like, go see who they are, go read who they are, go understand why they paint like that. So education is important. I think you need, artists need to educate themselves why either through their gallerists or curators or friends or online, but curate themselves about the business of the art industry they're getting into and the history of the art industry. You know, if you want to just sell your stuff on Insta or have a website, you're going to be great. You do that. But if you want to compete, because this is a competition and you want your work to be of significant value and you want to be like Basquiat and all them, then you've got to do the work. You've got to understand what you're doing and you've got to study. Even I still study. I really do. <laughs> so, you know, we've all got to study because it's a completely different um, playing field, you know. The people that you work with, yes. artists, are supposed to be people who are different, mm. vibrant, mm. and they bring a lot of um, uniqueness <laughs> to the table. I like the words they say. <laughs> very diplomatic, but very true, yes. How do you deal with all of that and making sure that they maintain that uniqueness? And yet, yeah, 
in a world where you need to present yourself in a certain standardness. Yes, it is hard. It is hard. I think it's like any relationship. There's got to be trust. Your artist has to trust you. You're going to trust them because that is what it is. I'm basically in a relationship with you. So, you know, you got to trust that I want to bring out your best side. You got to trust that I love you and I want you to do well. So if I advise, but I also have to trust that you know what you're doing and this is your identity. And, you know, so it is hard. There is this tete-a-tete. I don't know how to say English, but um, it, it is. We got to find this kind of middle ground, but I love the artists I work with. I love my artists. I mean, I get all so well. They're all different personalities. My God. I mean, some, but this is the thing. It's like, but it's like, is it like relationship? Sometimes they feel like my children. Sometimes they feel like my siblings, but you know, some need me more. Some need more vocal support. You know, they want to speak to me. You know, some don't need me at all. You know, they want to just me to check in and they're good. They, they got it and I got it. And what they're doing, I get it. They get it and we love it. So I'm like, okay, you do you, hon. And it's like, I love that. Some are you know, like, oh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Some are like, I need a break. Some, but I feel like, honestly, I think this is honestly like a natural skill. Maybe I'm a people person. Um, I'm the oldest of five siblings. I love people. I love having a lot of great friends. So I feel like maybe having, and I have a very dynamic very emotional and interesting families and characters as well. So I feel like maybe that's why I'm so used to having and being around and understanding different personalities um, that I try to let them be who they are and try to let them see that when I advise, it's to help guide them in an industry they don't know very well. But also, as I said, the, a unique sign of an artist is important. I think the most dangerous thing ever is to dull an artist to try and make them someone else. I never do that. Like. If you are like someone else, then we should show them someone else who they are. I feel like an artist should be themselves. That's why they're amazing. That's why we want to show them. That's why they're unique. Um, I find that a lot of them second guess themselves. Actually, let me rephrase that. The women second guess themselves a lot. The boys are all very confident in they are, even if it's not. <laughs> no, I love it. But sometimes I'm like, oh, wow. The confidence level of men, <laughs> especially the artists, young artists that literally taught themselves. I love it. But some of them are like, this is me. We like it. You don't like it. Okay. And I'm like, oh, okay. That's not just in arts. Yeah, exactly. I feel like that's exactly transcends. But um yeah, I think it, yeah, it's about having good relationships, trust. You've got to trust. They've got to trust us and we've got to trust them. On the subject of women second-guessing themselves in art, I think we know that this world has a lot of spaces dominated by men. Absolutely. And art is no different. Absolutely, yeah. You are making a dedicated effort to make sure that you are churning out a lot of brilliant female artists. Yeah. How do you find them and how do you encourage them to own their art? Well, I think one, because I'm a woman in an industry that's not made for me, it's already, it's, there's a strong sisterhood. I will say that. Like what I find with the female artists of the continent I love, they are sisters. The essence feels different. When you meet a female artist that you love and like, I love their work and, and I want to work with them. It's, it's a sisterhood because it's like, there's not many of us and there's not many of you. And I think them seeing me doing it as well in my side, you know, I'm, I'm literally battling dudes every bloody day. So they're like, if you're doing that and you're gonna battle with me, it, it, that's what it's camaraderie, you know? There's a very strong female sisterhood in African art, but from the curators, the artists, the writers, I love it. Even in Ghana, you know, there's what I'm loving actually is that there's a lot more female curators and people working in the art industry in Accra and, 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 in, and in Ghana. Um, and they're very supportive of each other. I mean, look at Henrika, right here. 
um, but I love it. I don't know why we have a natural camaraderie with each other, but it's really beautiful. It's wonderful. So I feel that I don't even have to work as hard when I work with the female artists. It's just the confidence level. It's, you know, it's more telling them they are worthy. They are great. They always want to price themselves lower. I'm like, no, you are as much as this. Um, and they're not sure. And they're not sure. They're not sure. Um, but then, of course, there's some female artists that get it. They know. But, it, you know, as you said, it's this is a male industry. This is one of the strongest male industries. Not only male industry, it's a very Caucasian industry. Um, and it's an old industry. You know, most of the people who do what I do are 40 and above white men, you know. Most of the artists are white dudes. It's like, and then if they want to represent an artist, it's the boys. Um, so the girls, you know, it feels like sometimes it's all the, what's it, all the chips are stacked against us. So they need someone. I'm also quite feisty. They think they can see that I'm going to fight for them in this industry as well. Um, but no, it's, I, I think showcasing film artistry is wonderful. I did a show in London two years ago, two years ago, summer, a massive show in London. In Mayfair, it was the first of its kind. No one ever did it. And it was 35 artworks, 16 female artists from the continent and diaspora. And I don't know why, I mean, I was so proud of it. And it was incredible because most of the artists did like self-portraits, so it, they couldn't come. So it felt like they were within the space. It was one of my proudest, honestly, proudest like moments ever as a curator. But I, the press and the you know coverage was insane. And I realized it because people, just didn't understand the concept that the first there were that many incredible, not standard, incredible high top level female artists that were black or African or of African descent. And they just couldn't believe that there was a space showing them in one row. And I'm really like, what? I mean, now of course, everybody's doing it. But then it really was like, wow. <laughs> but I, I like, I don't, I don't like that word because I feel like it's, what is it? Like, um, it makes you feel like imposter syndrome. I'm not pining or anything, but I really, I just feel like there's people that have been doing it and no one wanted to hear it and I do it and they're listening. So that's all, because I have friends in Nigeria and South Africa that have done all female group shows, but no one cared, you know, maybe because I did in London, I don't know. But I do know that what I'm enjoying is that people are looking more at female artists. Um, a lot of galleries, international galleries looking at female artists as well. And people are seeing that, I think even female artists themselves are staying in the industry. You know, what I found was a lot of women that went to art school, you know, would finish and then not do art professionally. They become moms or they just didn't think it was for them in any capacity. But now they're like, oh, okay, I can actually be an artist too. So that's really cool as well. And they're a lot braver. I find the girls don't copy each other. They have something they want to put out and their message and their art. And it doesn't matter if no one is doing it. It doesn't matter if it doesn't make sense to anyone. That's what they do. They're not looking at the market. They're not looking at what anyone else is doing. They're not copying anybody. The girls are like, this is what I want to do. So I quite, I love that. I actually really love the bravery as well. The show you profiled, you talked about now is the mother of mankind. Yes. And it was a free show. Yeah. Everybody could see. It was a part of the intention to make sure that it was free and people could actually see that we have amazing women yeah. artists. All my shows are free, by the way. I don't believe in people paying for exhibitions, but I don't just put that out there. I think it's crazy. I think museums, of course, I understand that. But yes, it was free, yes. And it was in the center of London and it was in the art center. Mayfair in London is where all the big galleries are. That's where you'll find Simon Lee and like Pace and all the big boys. Yeah. So it was wonderful. It was a friend's gallery space. I did it as a pop-up basically um, for six weeks, no, five weeks. Um, but it was awesome for people exactly to come 
and see a wall, see, I mean, people walking past and see the window. But it was really cool because people walk past and see this black female figure in a window. And, um, and also it sold really well. I think we sold pretty much everything but like two, three words, honestly. It was nuts. So, no, it was for people to see that a room in England, you know, of black female figures and faces. Oh, it was stunning. It was great. It was really What do you feel like is your role as a curator in telling the story of African artists? And how do you pick ads that you want to tell and in what team? I mean, I know the first artist, the second artist was talking about Black Lives Matter. How, how do you say, okay, these are stories that are important now and we need to show them. How do you make those decisions? Well, the artist makes his decision first. Um, an artist is making a body of work independently. It's not, I don't tell them what to make. I think for me, when I curate, I come up with a concept well, this is my personal process. Every curator is different. I come up with a concept, um, for example, doing a curation actually this year in LA, and as joining the UTA artist space, which is a huge, massive artist space in Los Angeles. Um, that show is titled The Sound of Our Souls. So that concept I came up with was, I remember thinking, there's a few um, major artists like Amwako and Otis, and even Collins have shown in LA, but with, you know, standard white-owned real galleries. So I remember thinking, I'm coming to LA, it's like my, felt like my debutante balls. Like, I'm my first time there. I'm a black female African gallerist coming to LA. I've got this huge 4,000 square foot space. It's in Beverly Hills. There's a lot of people, like, you know, collectors and things I know. I felt the pressure. So I remember wanting to make a noise. It was like, I felt like, it was almost like a procession, like a raw procession. So in my mind, it was drums. I had like a drumming, like royal procession drumming. So I wanted to make that sound in the show. I, I don't know if this makes sense. <laughs> this, is, this is my process. So I remember the sound of our souls was very random because there's a song I really love by an English band. Um, and the, it's one of the phrases he's singing about his love of a woman. It's crazy. This is how my mind thinks. But he's like, this is the sound of my soul. This is the sound of my soul. And he keeps repeating it. So I didn't know why that, but when I thought of that, I remember thinking, well, one thing, because I wanted the artist I was showing, I remember thinking that um, one thing they're all going to have in common is not one of them has shown in LA before, because I have artists that I couldn't show, but I remember thinking, I want to show artists who have never shown in Los Angeles before that I work with. I wanted that kind of, this is the sound of my soul. I remember thinking, that's the one thing we all have in common, because they're from different parts of the continent, and some, you know, one's from Japan, he's a Senegalese in Japan. We've got someone from Zimbabwe, we've got Uganda, we've got... Uh, Nigeria, got South Africa, all sorts, London, British, Jamaican, all sorts, Barbadian. So I was like, what is the one thing we all have in common? It's this kind of connection to the continent and this kind of drumming, this sound, or this royal sound. So I remember thinking, I want that sound. I want it elevated. I want to make noise. So the concept became this whole thing of showing each artist what I told them was like, you know, this is the title, this is the concept I have. I want you to bring forth a work that shows who you are doesn't need to make any sense to anybody else it shows who you personally are so that's what's going to connect everyone in this show each work is going to be each artist's representation of yelling i am here that's what i wanted that kind of repetition me i'm here i'm here i'm here i'm here i'm here so i want every work to show that representation of the artist so do you dive into the creator's mindset? <laughs> <laughs> I've never actually openly spoken about my process, so this I'm so sorry if that didn't one. make sense. This is, this is so wonderful. It sounds mad sometimes to me, because I think of music, I think this of sound. Like, I'm that, right? 
Yes, I mean, well, the gallery, yes, but I mean, I want to, because the gallery is based in Ghana, I've kept it as our HQ. Um, however, saying that, I do want to do um, shows, for example, I'm going to do a show in Nigeria. Okay. It's time to go for what I mean. I, you know, whether I'll partner with a friend, which I quite like the idea of doing something with another female gallerist, who's a really incredible gallerist friend of mine, or I do something on my own, I'm not sure yet. Um, but the reason why I don't show on the rest of the continent, I mean, I will in terms of like art fairs and things like that, but because Ghana is on the continent, it's kind of our HQ. So I want people to come to Ghana. Yeah, okay. yeah that's that. That's the tactic of it in the business sense. But in terms of showing, yeah, I want, you know, we haven't done, we've only been open for three years. And I think a lot of art fairs, you have to be open for two years at least or three before you can show. So from now we are starting to do art fairs. So something like Joburg Art Fair and, you know, Dakat, you know, things like that. We will definitely make our presence known. But definitely Nigeria is mine. I've got to go home. It's, it's actually embarrassing. I haven't even done anything there yet. It's quite honest with you. Yeah, I will. The absence of art fairs in Ghana. We have a huge art fair in Lagos, mm-hmm. in Johannesburg. Mm-hmm. You've already highlighted the very brilliant artists that we have in Ghana. Yeah. Memorially, now, why do you think that we've not been able to create a space which houses a lot of arts like that? every year bring people all the world. We are doing so intense. We're yeah. doing Africella, we're doing that. Mm-hmm. Where's the space for, yeah. It is interesting. So in the beginning, people thought you needed to have an art fair when you had a local's buyer's base, right? Because that's what's gonna support. Um, you need, and because Ghana doesn't have a strong local buyer's base, people have tried to make conceptual spaces where it is like an art fair, I mean, uh, gosh, my, my brain is so slow, so I don't know why. Let's sit in that space in, um, near Spintags. Untamed Empire. Yeah, Untamed Empire, for example, are awesome. So Untamed Empire, you know, they, ha- they have brought in, I mean, it terms, it doesn't, it's, it's a fair in the sense that they've brought different artists with different art on the walls in different spaces. And I like that. So, you know, the pavilion or whatever it is, so people have can come to that. But in terms of something like Artex and Lagos, now, firstly, you've got to remember, Artex Lagos is still near, it's only five years old. So, Nigeria is hardly, I mean, they've only just got an art fair, and that's because Tokini, who I actually grew up with, um, you know, finally did that for there. But as again, it makes sense because, you know, there is a big, strong local buyer's market. So they get a lot of Nigerians coming in. The, the thing about Ghana, I feel like we could have an art fair. I do think, but we'd have to do it at a time like Christmas, where everyone is flying into the, like the whole world and their goods are coming here. For the parties and stuff because the thing you know it's it's about having a space of course and showing it but what everyone forgets is you know an art fair is a business if people come it's great but if people aren't gonna buy then it's not gonna work see this thing we need buyers but i do feel that people would fly to ghana to buy art you know a lot more of my international collectors are flying to ghana people who had never been to the continent in their life have been to ghana now uh, a lot more of the big institutions are coming here. Google and I have come here. Freeze have come here. Gosh, um, so many. b and have come here. You know, it's, yeah. Like, what? what? Basel? Yeah, Basel come here. And so, like, those are the biggest in the world. They've come here. So, you know, and even, like, galleries. Michael Bettis' British New York galleries. 
they've come here. So I was like, you know, I don't know, you know, but the thing is, I know a lot of galleries won't. It's the business model will be difficult for Ghana because a lot of galleries go to art fairs for one reason, one reason only to sell. It's our version of a trade fair. That's what it is. You know, it looks all lovely and pretty, but we're there to sell art. We're there to sell new art, old art, art we don't know how to sell, art we want to try and sell. That's what art fairs are for. So if you come somewhere like Ghana, which is gorgeous and has the artists, and you put that, you know, you show the art, but you don't have people who are going to buy it. You know, galleries, you have to pay for shipping. International shipping is expensive. Flying over, set up, you know, joining fees. It's very expensive to be in an art fair. And if you do all that, and then you don't even sell a painting on your wall, yeah. So I think Ghana, I don't know. As I said, maybe if we did it at that Christmas time where everyone is here, because I know a lot of, you know, we have a lot of great black collectors and American collectors and a lot of people like art. They come here, they want to buy stuff. But I don't know if it will be the level of other art fairs where, you know, expensive art yet. Maybe we do very young artists and this really would like, like in London, they have affordable art fair and the other art fair. I love that because independent artists can do it. A lot of artists from, you know, art school, uni show there. I go there quietly to discover new talent. So I think something like that would work really nicely here because the price point isn't crazy. But then also somewhere for young artist students to show their work. Galleries like us can also show our work and then people can appreciate it. I think it's about the module, but it has to be a brave person. I would never do it. The Wahala and the stress. I've seen Tokini stressing in Lagos. I don't ever do it. I love one idea and I'm already stressed. There is no way. I mean, you couldn't pay. We still have an but I really hope someone braver than me does. <laughs> Let's talk about the audience. When you started the gallery, mm. all the kind of people that were coming there and has that changed? Mm. Are we gradually seeing everybody wanting to, you know, walk into the art space? And what is, what is the learning transition? What are they learning? What questions are they asking? Yeah, um, I love it. So everyone does come. What I have loved so much, what I've noticed is I love that people are comfortable to come in. Like I remember when I first opened, people will ask, oh, can I come? Like people are literally shy, you know, they'll walk past, but you know, I guess they, you know, people have the connotation that art is not for everybody, which I really wanted to change. So I have seen that people are comfortable coming, but my favorite, I think of the two things I've loved seeing now with our visitors is one, a lot of people bring their kids. Not very, very young because they're going to break something, unfortunately. But, um, but I love that parents are bringing their kids. I, children need to. My best memories as a child was going to museums and art galleries with my father. I loved it. I think that's where the love even came from. And I love that people are bringing their kids to the space and children are really engaging and enjoying the art. And my second favorite was Valentine's Day. Boys are bringing girls on dates to the art gallery. And not even on Valentine's, they just, you know, it's like a new little usual thing. It's like, you know, boys are like, oh, let me take you to an art gallery, an art exhibition, and then we'll go for dinner. I love it. I see couples, a lot of couples, we see a lot of couples dressed up. I love that. I think it's so cool that it's a date spot. You know, we really encourage people to tag and share. Some people dress up in outfits that match the gallery show that they like. Like when we had our pick cowboys of Samuel Lumbo, we had a lot of cowboys. A lot of people came in wearing cowboys or wearing pink just to come to take shots and tag us that they came to the gallery wearing pink or they came as a cowboy. I mean, that's so cool. Right? <laughs> I mean, I don't know if any other gallery, I feel like I've never seen that in London before, that's for sure. So I love that. I, know, I don't know if it's a new Gen Z thing, but I, I thought it was such a cool thing that people would dress up for the shows they really enjoy. Like they'll come and see it and then they come back again dressed up to match 
you know, the art. Oh, Ghana, God bless you. One of the things that has made the guy so successful in the past few years is partnerships, right? You've talked about partnerships that have enabled women mm -hmm. to be spotlighted. Um, what are some of those favorite partnerships and what are some of the upcoming partnerships that we should expect yeah. um, to profile more African actors? Um, I love partnerships. I mean, of course, the international spaces definitely more. You know, as I said, we've got we've got a very big show in Los Angeles in November. I'm so excited. We'll definitely something in Nigeria. We're going to be doing more art fairs. Dubai definitely. Um, I'm going to be. There's a great gallery, Ghanaian gallery actually in Dubai, Afia Gallery. Shout out Valentina. Um, we're going to hopefully work with them. So I feel that I want to partner more with more art curators and more um, galleries from the continent. So even like certain art dealers and advisors and curators I know, like Bryce, hi Bryce, um, and um, you know, some of our younger like Nigerian curators and galleries like uh, Oyinka, Dada, hi Dada. Um, there's, there's ways for everyone to work with each other, even if it's maybe not a massive like Ada X production or anything like that, or if it's an artist they wanna work with, or they wanna take one of our artists to um, an art fair, we wanna show their artists. Those are the kind of collaborations that happen all the time. As I said, I have a very wonderful ecosystem and friends um, in African art, all of us. We, I think maybe because there's not many of us, we all know each other and we're very close to each other. Um, those of us here in Nigeria, London, New York, wherever we are, we are very close. You know, I speak a lot to my, especially few female gallerists. God, it's not many of us at all, it's like under four or five, but we all talk to each other. Um, so we want to make things work, you know, as long as it makes sense for everybody. But partnerships, I think for me in particular, I want to do more in Ghana is the local art community. You know, we have a wonderful new gallery exec, Henrika, um, who has, you know, is becoming a face of the space, but is very, has a love for art as well and the local art community. So I think that's the side we really want to push. You know, Henrika and I really want to work together. You know, we're going to go to Kumasi, for example, do talk at Kwame Kwame uh, University to the art students. We're going to talk about the business of art. We're going to talk about female artistry. Um, I'm just wondering, you know, we've had a lot of schools. Well, I forgot about that, of course, the philanthropy. We've been getting arts, you know, young students and um, school kids to do artwork with our artists who are in town or come and see the show. We've got international university art students to come and see the show. So, yeah, I think it's just about... But for Ghana, I definitely want to do more with the art community here. You know, I want to do more talks, more podcasts, more panels, um, and just, you know, understand more, you know, how we can help the actual on-ground artists. Oh, I understand that the ecosystem is still developing. Yes. But how do we bring it together and create a massive institution around art in both Ghana and across Africa? Do you have any thoughts around that? Um, more galleries, more spaces, more curators, I think, you know, in, in, like in all these things, the more competition, the better. We need more galleries. I know it's easier said than done. I'm not going to sit here and act like I'm not privileged to have my space. I totally understand that. And I know it's not easy. But I feel like even those that love art, you know, we need more curators. But that is happening. It really is happening. Uh, there's a lot more people putting on shows in, in spaces you would even imagine. Henry did a show at Jason Cafe, you know. Um, Kezio, our gallery manager, did a group show in, I think in the mall, didn't she? In the shopping mall. So I feel like you know, people do a boxing stadium. I think the more that there are shows, the more shows there are, the more curators, the more spaces we can see art. Actually, I've been to a hospital to see art as well, actually, as well, by Eric Gimathi. He did a show in, in a hospital, Nabri. See? So everyone is, 
we're trying, I know there's not enough, it's hard, but then also what I'm loving is, you know, a lot of people are building spaces and Marcos built his new residency. Um, the Nordor residency is there, you know, so more spaces will make our industry stronger, our ecosystem stronger, more players in the industry will make us stronger. That's the only way to go. And who knows, maybe I'll build a big museum or something or school or something one day, just to, just to put the cherry on top. You mentioned more spaces, and I think earlier on you mentioned how Instagram kind of transformed. Yes. So I was wondering maybe beyond Instagram and also the driver of COVID, how does technology change the space? And then, yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. Okay, so, well, there's been a lot more digital exhibitions. Um, I haven't done them as much, but what we do on our digital side is our website is so, uh, it's very ingrained. And because I, especially because of COVID, we realize people can't get here. Our website essentially tells you every single thing. It's very immersive on the show, so you don't have to physically come to Ghana. So we have artist videos, images, everything right up so that you really can do it. But what's happening is, yeah, there's a lot more digital exhibitions. It's hard because I'm such an old school girl and I like the touch of paintings, but they do work wonderfully. I mean, there's been a lot more 3D rendering, that's the word, 3D rendering, um, and people can actually engage and view art in three-dimensionally. Um, a lot of artists, I don't know a lot about it, so I'm gonna talk a lot about it, but NFTs obviously are there. I'm not a fan. I am a fan of digital artists, which I think is different to NFTs. Um, you know, there's Ghana. She has a lot of really cool digital artists, um, which I'm really excited. David Alabo, for example, insane. I mean, Gideon, Gideon Senek. Oh, everyone, I'm forgetting everyone's names today. Uh, but that's what, I, that's what I've noticed, actually, digital art, which I've said very different to NFT art. Anyone can sell NFT. NFT to me is not art. It's just a space for you to sell what you want. But digital artistry is something new and unique you know, things that move, things that are three-dimensional. Nana Afroscope, oh, uh, my shame on me, I'm even doing a show with him. <laughs> Nana Afroscope, for example, is a digital artist who he does paint and does everything. He actually does all sorts of different types of compositions, but he's a digital artist and he was actually one of the artists that went to Venice for Ghana and had a digital show. You know, well done, Nana, for that, curating that. Um, so, Ghanians, uh, that's what I said, the artistry is there. Look, we have people pushing boundaries. We just need to have more people to show them. This, what's it called? COVID changed everything because suddenly we all realized, you see, before we knew in Africa that we had to make things immersive digitally because no one's going to come here. No one wants to come to us, right? But what it did do was made the whole world realize that we can't go to things. So, everyone in every capacity, so like, what's it called, digital viewing rooms and online viewing rooms, online exhibition. The Northwestern guys never used to do that. Now they do as well because COVID made us realize that we can't get to places. How are we going to see art if we can't physically go? You know, so yeah, it's, but the, but the digital artistry is, is wonderful as well. What do you think is going to happen to the African art scene in the next 10 years? Looking at the fast pace of growth that is happening, the opportunities, the galleries that we are expecting to, you know, spring that. Yeah. What is your hope and My optimism? Is, I mean, I hate when people call it a phase. Um, I have a real issue because I don't think it's a phase. As I said, I grew up with art, with there's been art in my life. Our ancestors had art, so art is a thing. I think what I hoped is, okay, I'll say what I hope to happen and what is, I believe is going to happen. What I believe is going to happen is the saturation of the same kind of art and weaker artists and strong artists is going to happen because that kind of excitement and zhuzhiness that the West have seen is basically dying because now we're actually seeing real artistry come through. 
the days of everyone painting the same is done. As in, I'm not even saying that to scare anybody, but if you do not have your unique way and your unique voice as an artist, just already start to look for that second job because the days of people painting the same is done because everyone now wants, now we see the artists can paint from Africa. So what they want is unique art. They want strong art. They want art that's going to last forever. They want art that's beautiful. They want art that'll be on their walls or not they want to give to their grandchildren. That's what's happening. They want art they've never seen before. They don't want everything they've seen before. So the market demand is going to change. It's already has started changing. Figurative and portraiture is already going towards abstraction um, and surrealism because that's just natural. That even happened in the European art market. If you keep seeing black faces, one day you're not going to want to see a face. You want to see nothing. So everybody has got their pictures of black faces in their houses. Now what? They want to see something else. So artists that are pushing surrealism, conceptualism, um, are getting mixed media, sculpture, photography, mix and mixed media. Those are the guys that are now going to start winning um, because, you know, you've got to have your unique selling point. But also, I do believe we're here to stay. I don't believe that uh, it's a phase. I do think that it will get tougher in the sense of real, you will now have to show real artists and it's not going to be as easy. I think the days of selling anything online is going to slow down as well. I think people are going to actually want and expect, which I love, they will expect more from the continent because now they're going to be like, well, you're like us. You're like New York and you're like London, you're like Paris. So they're going to expect the artistry to be at that level and the galleries to be at that level, the curators to be at that level. Um, and I actually think that's a really good pressure because it's going to sift out the nonsense and it's going to make all of us work harder to show the best of the best and it'll make artists work harder to show the best of themselves. I think it's been quite easy and lazy recently, to be quite honest with you. I think a lot of people have ridden on this very fun ride and wave but i think what's gonna happen in the next five years is real artists are going to show because as i say anyone could be a painter but not everyone could be an artist and for other gallery what do you see is going to what's our question? yeah what's going to transform yeah. i mean what's the vision of the gallery hopefully in the next yeah. 10 years and how mm. will you believe it will inspire change across ghana across the continent well, we will, I know I love where we are now. We will one day have a big forever home. I know that. I always have HQ in Ghana. I'm not going to change that. I think it's very important. In my mind and what I hope, wish, and what I'm working towards is that uh, the gallery, Adal will be more than a gallery. That's what it's going to become. It's going to be uh, a space that will have galleries within, hopefully two. Uh, but it will also have uh, studios for artists, not even those that are showing with us, but artists to rent. So artists that need a space to work, it will have a sculpture park because I feel like we need more of those. Um, but it will have a photo studio. You know, I, I want it, it will have talks. I, I, I envisage almost like an institute, if that makes sense. And that's like the, I don't know if I want to share that with everybody, but I'm gonna say anyway. But I do envision this kind of beautiful, massive design-led space that is more than a gallery because it's needed. We will, it will still have the gallery, gallery one and gallery two, but I feel like we need more than that here. So I want to try and build that. Um, I hope to build that. I will build that. Um, and other than that, you know, we're going to have a location in externally. We're going to come for the West. We're going to come for the West. So I'm going to have, inshallah, very soon, but uh, a space in the West. Um, and that'll be rare too. Female-led African space in the West with all the big boys. We're going to do that. Um, but other than that, I mean, the two spaces, you know, eventually, I think for us, it's just about, I think one thing I, is important is 
rather than always bring something new, I just want us to be around. I want longevity. I don't want us to go. I don't want another space that disappears. I don't want another gallery that doesn't show. I want us to continue relationships with the artists. I want us to keep working with the artists, even when they become big, big deals and they want to leave us for bigger galleries, which is natural. Um, I hope we do keep working with them and I hope we keep discovering artists and I hope we keep supporting. So that's the ethos. I don't want us to go. I don't want Ada to leave. I think I want it to be a legacy and I want it to be here as an institute, an art institute that supports Ghana and also the continent. If there is a burgeoning African artist that's listening to the podcast right now, okay, yes. what is your message to them? What would I tell the young burgeoning artist right now? I will say don't give up. I will say it's not easy, um, but then nothing great ever is. Um, I would say that just because one gallery doesn't want you doesn't mean another doesn't. But I think most of all, first and foremost, you have to be true to who you are as an artist. Be true and be honest with yourself. Like be really honest, you know, do you want to do this forever? Is this you? Can you not live without it? Because that's on the other side of everyone. All of us that work in this industry are obsessed with it. We really are. We're obsessed with it. We eat, live, breathe art from the artists to the gallery to curators. We can't think of anything else. If you're not obsessed with it, then honestly, maybe, you know, something else. But I think as an artist, if you're honest about who you are and put in the work, educate yourself. Educate yourself on the industry. Educate yourself on your practice and educate yourself on the history of art in all capacity, not just African art, you know, European art, literally the history of art itself, the classicist, the modernist, everything, because it's all going to help. Um, a piece of advice someone told me, which I think is important, is the more art you see and surround yourself with, the more art that you congest, the more you know. I believe that. You know, go to art, other artist studios, build your art ecosystem, make friends. Those artists you see on Insta that you like, message them. You never know. A lot of us are really cool. You know, they'd be like, I love this. You know, they're not going to tell you the secrets and how they made it, obviously. So don't be impersonal and ask people how to do what they do. But I would say, you know, if you want support, it's there. And there is a lot of artists that love support, especially the older ones, or those who've also been in the industry a lot longer. They're so kind because everyone loves hearing lovely things like, you know. Um, but I would say, yeah, you need to also practice and support. Learn more, go out lots, go to other artist studios. Um, and I think mostly rest, a lot of artists don't. If you stare towards that canvas, it's not going to help you. And have life experiences. Art is not just about painting, it's a narrative. You are conveying something, even if you're not conveying anything. Like, you know, like let's say you are an abstract artist that is so tired of people wanting you to paint something that you just don't want to paint anything, so you just do a big red blob. So I think it's very important for artists to have life experiences because then you will have something to say in your, in your work. You know, it's not good things, bad things, sad things. Life is actually our biggest inspiration. You know, as cheesy as that sounds, but it's true. And a lot of the work that I love and the artists that I want to work with is because when I see their work, I see it three-dimensionally. It's something beyond the canvas. If I, anything could just be pretty and aesthetic. It's got to be something, it's got to mean something. It's got to make you move, emote, you know? So it's very scary. I always say artists are the bravest people because they've got to be vulnerable to put themselves on a canvas. But I think that's very, very important to do. This has been the Chinya Africa podcast with Adora Umba. It's been a very educated, insightful, and at the end, inspiring. We didn't know how to add Well, thank you very much for having me. I hope I didn't uh, speak this, too fast. No, this was excellent. This was excellent. <laughs>
Change Africa podcast is produced by Isaac Abwa and Daniel Murky. It is executive produced by Tim Yarstratus. The theme music and digital production is by Daniel Quay and graphic design by Andrew Ayi. This podcast is a production of Nexa Media. Music